Hello and welcome to episode five of the Strike Brigade podcast. My name is our first class, Aaron McEvers, and today we're going to talk about trust, why it's essential, what we get out of relationships where there is mutual trust, and what we can do to develop it when it is lacking. Now, I'm going to re-release a conversation that I've had last spring with my former battalion commander, Colonel Johnny Cassiano. Colonel Cassiano at the time was the commander of 177 Armor Steel Tigers here at Fort Bliss, and I was a platoon sergeant in his battalion. I chose him for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he's one of the most influential leaders I'd ever served with. He took the time to cultivate relationships based upon mutual trust with all the leaders in his organization. And serving in his battalion is one of my favorite experiences in the Army. Colonel Cassiano is the type of leader that we all think we are or wish we were. He gets the most out of those on his team because he trusts them to do their best in every situation. And when they don't perform to their best, he helps them fix the deficiencies instead of blaming them for their failures. And so we had a couple experiences where that, that I share in the, in the conversation where I could tell I was trusted and I could tell that I could trust him. And I think because of that, I probably had one of the, one of the most productive um, relationships with senior leadership that I've ever had in, in, in my time in the Army. But I chose trust as a topic for this conversation because it's a word that appears so frequently in our leadership doctrine and professional development literature. But I don't think we talk enough about how we can develop it when it's lacking uh, in our teams or how trust actually makes us feel better. Okay, And our teams that, that have higher levels of trust, they're going to outperform the teams that don't have higher levels of trust or trust at all. And I think we also need to address the unpleasant truth is we don't have to have trust to get through the day. We can get short-term results on a daily basis without having a healthy trusting relationship. And I feel like there are many of us that may serve in those types of environment. Uh, I think one of the hallmarks of counterproductive leadership or one of the one of the warning signs of counterproductive leadership is a lack of trust in an um, over-reliance or an overemphasis on just getting today's work done. And when we serve in those organizations that are devoid of trust, it's generally a stress and anxiety-filled existence. And what becomes one of our key motivators is to leave that organization or team at the earliest opportunity. Okay, And I, I feel like we need to address that and uh, start having conversations based around that. But if experiencing reciprocated trust and this is what the what the science tells us. If we're in a trusting relationship where I trust you and you trust me, whenever those interactions come up, we get a we get a hit of oxytocin. We get that, uh, for better word, we get that love chemical, you know. And I think we need to talk about what's happening when we're operating in a climate of distrust or a climate of suspicion, if if it were as it were. Um, if we're not getting oxytocin in in those trusting environments, in the in the climates of suspicion and mistrust we're probably experiencing elevated levels of cortisol and adrenaline, those stress hormones. And not only can that make us miserable, it can also be damaging to our health to work in teams long-term where trust is absent. But I wanna, I wanna bring my intro to a close here and just say that yes, trust is the bedrock of our profession, but I think we need to spend some time shoring up that bedrock. And we need to take deliberate steps to evaluate trust within our organizations and within our teams and make sure that we're doing our best to develop it whenever we find it absent. Cool. 
All right. Hello, everybody. It's, uh, it's our first class. Aaron McEvers here. I am the second brigade EOA. I frequently am tasked and or given the privilege of creating some training content that helps us improve how we operate as a team, how we care for our individuals, how we demonstrate people first, how we get after those corrosive behaviors of suicide, uh, racism, extremism, and sexual harassment, sexual assault. So for today's conversation, I brought in my former battalion commander and uh, Colonel John Cassiano. Um, he is gonna join me on a conversation where we're gonna talk about trust and how trust is important for building high-performing teams. Um, Colonel Cassiano, if you'd like to introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about you. Sure, uh, Storm McEvers, thanks very much again for incorporating me into this conversation. It's, uh, it's a privilege, it's an honor. It's always great to see you. Um, my name is Colonel Johnny Cassiano. I'm uh, currently stationed at the, uh, the Army War College at Carlisle Barracks, um, about halfway through the curriculum here. Uh, former battalion commander at uh, 177 Armor, and then uh, most recently coming out of the uh, second SFAB. I was the uh, first battalion commander over at uh, second SFAB at Fort Bragg. So great to be here. Looking forward to dialoguing about uh, trust and uh, all the different elements associated with it. Okay. All right. So we're talking about trust. I've chosen uh, Colonel John Cassiano, Colonel Cassiano to speak with me because of some shared experience we had when he was my battalion commander and I was a platoon sergeant in tank company there in uh, Bravo Company 177. But when we talk about trust, I chose trust as a topic because it's a cornerstone of our leadership doctrine. It's a bedrock of our profession. But I feel like we need to do a little bit better about assessing for it, uh, developing it when it's lacking, rewarding it, reinforcing it when it's present. And I think the, our imperative for it, and or the reason it's essential, is that our biology uh, a long time ago figured out that trust was essential. It was essential for us back in Paleolithic Stone Age terms, uh, times when we were bands of 100, 150 people. Uh, and what happens in the brain when trust is reciprocated is oxytocin is released. Now, oxytocin is the exact same chemical um, neurotransmitter that is released when, a, when parents are holding their newborn for the first time. So that bond that forms between parents and newborn is not unlike individuals who have developed a trusting relationship where trust is extended and trust is uh, in turn given back and people are generally trustworthy. So it's something that we, I feel like it's absolutely important for us to cultivate in our environments and our organizations. Uh, I brought Colonel Cassiano on because there were two incidents when I was a platoon sergeant in 177 Steel Tigers. Um, the initial one was in Kuwait in 2016. It was our first time maneuvering as a platoon. And we had some problems right out the gate uh, pertaining to the communications equipment we had and our, uh, or our, our ability to communicate with our tanks. And it was, it was a uh, unforced error, so to speak, on our, our part. But we persevered, we got through the mission and my assessment leading into the AAR was that I'm just absolutely, get, we're gonna get, we're gonna get nuked, we're gonna get, uh, lit up everything that good that we had done was going to get omitted uh and the focus was going to be on where we failed and part of my reason for thinking that was that i had left i had just left uh, an organization where it was a no defect mentality form of leadership you either get everything right or you get nothing right so that kind of shaped my expectations 
But my expectation was completely shattered when we conducted the AAR. Um, you initially addressed it. You said, hey, got it. We can't have it. Um, but this one's, this one's, you know, I'm going to own this one, but you're going to not let it happen again. You're not going to repeat this mistake. We're going to learn from it. And instead, you focused on the things we did well, the things we did right. And I think overall, we did pretty good. So there was, there was that incident where I was like, okay, the message that was communicated to me was that I could trust you to not be, uh, quote unquote, a toxic leader. Um, I know that has some, some various interpretations. People interpret that differently, but I'll use that just generally right now. Um, and that you're going to focus on the bigger picture. And that uh, as long as I put forth my best effort, controlled what I, you know, controlled the big, the big muscle movements and executed them properly, that's where the focus was going to be. Um, it's not that we weren't going to be held accountable uh, because you made it very clear, hey, don't let this one happen again, move forward and, and let's get better. So that's what it, it communicated to me that I could trust you as a leader. Uh, and that was big. And then fast forward probably about 14 months. Um, and this is when I got confirmation that you trusted me. You trusted my, my, my judgment, my competence, you know, and what I brought to the team. And this was when we were maneuvering uh, in Oro Grande maneuver area, brand new platoon leader. I just, I just swapped out. It was his first time maneuvering. Um, his tank wound up in a place that uh, it probably shouldn't have been. And uh, we did, we did a little track damage and it was going to be a lot of man hours to fix it. And when you spoke to me that evening in the tactical alpha alpha, you said, Hey, tell me about this. Tell me about what happened. And then you kind of framed it in because I'm thinking about conducting an investigation um, to which obviously or not perhaps not obvious to everybody, but I would prefer not to have had an investigation opened on, uh, on my platoon, not because of any wrongdoing, just because of the, the hassle. So I, I framed my response, I think, in a pretty succinct and uh, impactful manner. And I said, sir, uh, you know, no one was harmed. Nobody got injured. We're going to be able to fix the tank at no cost to the government. So there was no, no property damage. And I said, matter of fact, sir, I think this is an excellent training opportunity for my platoon. I, I think they're going to get some training on track maintenance that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten. So let's look at it as a training opportunity. And you said, Okay, and you dropped it right then and there. And for me as a younger Sergeant First Class at the time to change the mind of my battalion commander as briefly and, and, and as quickly as I did, it was, it was absolutely, uh, it, I felt that hit of oxytocin. Maybe not at the time, but I got a little bit of a high off of it. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, okay, I, I am trusted. Not only do I know I can trust my senior leader, but he trusts me as well. And it was absolutely a, uh, a unique feeling. What was your, what's your perception of the, or what's your memory of those events? Yeah, um, thanks for bringing both of those events up. Uh, and you were right. I think they were about 14 to 15 months apart from each other. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot embedded in, in those two examples, I, I think, right? Um, but what I would offer up to you is that they are intimately linked, right? I, I saw from the very beginning that you were a valued asset to the organization, right? Um, and you didn't just arrive there. I didn't just arrive there. And together we didn't just arrive at the fact that, you know, we were valuable assets within the organization. Um, but you don't develop trust right away. 
you, you, right. it's impossible to do that. It's the, it's the hardest thing to, to earn, the hardest thing to, to yield uh, amongst individuals and within an organization. And it's the absolute easiest thing to lose, you know, in, in just, just a half a second of, of uh, you know, or effort on anybody's part. So, um, yeah, those, those two events are linked. And the reason they're linked is because early on, you demonstrated to me that you were a professional, uh, that you were highly competent, that you cared about the people within the organization. And, you know, I, in turn, um, I gave the opportunity for trust to exist because I offered it, right? I mean, you and I were both new to the organization. Um, and so, you know, as leaders, we are in the position, particularly those more senior, uh, to either offer up trust where uh, as individuals demonstrate, you know, consistency in that trust and maintaining that trust, or the trust becomes already as a result of, um, you know, really poor performance or untrustworthy actions on somebody's part. And so, um, it, you know, as we progressed, you know, 13, 14, 15 months later, uh, when you communicated to me that, hey, sir, look, here are the here's the situation that exists today with the tank um, and within the organization, within the platoon, and you communicated to me, you maintained that professionalism, you maintained that level of competence and that level of caring. And I knew right then and there that what you were communicating to me was honest and trustworthy. And so I, I didn't feel a need to have to investigate as a result of you know, the incident. Okay. Awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing. It, it, th those were such key moments in my time in 177 that, that, you know, they remain fresh in my memory and, and sometimes experiences draw me back to those. So thank you for sharing uh, your perspective of it. So we laid out, you know, there's a biological imperative for us to evolve uh, as people, as, 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 uh, as civilizations, as organizations, trust is essential. There was some research done um, between high trust and low trust teams. And this is what uh, author Paul Zach found. High trust teams, 74% less stress, 100%, 106% more energy at work, 50% higher productivity, 13% fewer illness and injury, 76% more engagement. And I see that word a lot, engage leadership, being engaged at work. Um, and I'd like to define that for the listeners. That is when I, I am engaged if I establish a clear connection to the work I do, the people I serve with, and my leadership, and I, I am more involved because of that solid connection. Uh, and then also 29% more satisfaction and 40% and 40, 40 less, less burnout. So, you know, there's, there's the biological imperative. There's the neuroscience of trust. Uh, I gave you some statistics on how trust and how high trust teams outperform low trust teams. Um, you can absolutely have low trust teams succeed in the near term, but you're not going to see that growth. You're going to see that what what we what is commonly referred to as toxic leadership. Uh, I also came across a good trust model, and this is this is for leaders. Uh, this is from authors uh, Francis Frey and Ann Morris. For trust to be present in leadership three things have to be in the equation and that's authenticity. I experience the real you empathy. Uh, I believe you care about me and my success 
and logic. Basically, your judgment and your reasoning are sound. Uh, that's that's a good model that I like to refer to. But I know you have your own models, some some things you look for. Would you share with us what uh, those models are or what those components are, sir? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an environment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know the 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 atmosphere that we cultivate as leaders. I think first and foremost. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to your examples originally, um, you know, creating an opportunity for people to learn from their mistakes is a place where you can build trust very quickly. Um, and I, you know, I'll, I'll offer to you, I'll offer this to you. Uh, if if you are confident as a leader, then um, then you should look to push the decision making authority down to the level where the information lies. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you if you do that, you are now demonstrating to that organization that you trust those leaders to make decisions that are are pretty darn critical for the success of that organization. Right. And so, as as uh, mistakes are made, we as leaders have to be able to underwrite those mistakes so that those lessons can be learned. Right. And the more people learn from their mistakes the better they are to be able to teach from those experiences. They get to pass on that development and cultivation of a, a, an atmosphere and a culture within an organization, an environment that everybody really values being a part of and, and operating within, right? So I, I like your idea or, or the, the author's ideas of, of authenticity and empathy and, and logic um, you know, and I'll, and I'll quickly touch on those, but, but offer up some of the things that I look at, I look for as well. Authenticity, uh, in my mind is, you know, and you've probably heard me say this before. If, if you want to be a good leader, darn it, you, you better be a good person first, right? That's, Absolutely. that's authenticity, right? It's, it's rooted within the person we are as leaders, right? Um, the empathy idea, right? We all come from varying backgrounds. We're a highly diversified organization, the United States Army. Uh, we have different upbringings. And, and the day that we can't imagine ourselves walking in the shoes of somebody who doesn't look like us, somebody who doesn't speak like us or act like us or worship like us, um, you know, that's, that's the day when we're going to fail the people we're charged with leading. That is the day that we're going to sow the seeds of eroding trust within that organization, which, um, you know, is, is going to be very difficult to get back. And so empathy is this ability to identify with a whole host of other people who we are very unfamiliar with. Um, and, you know, from the position or perspective that they are seeing different things. Um, the logic, uh, you know, I'll tell you, that's, that essentially is, that's your brain that's the black and white of a situation, but I would offer up that what needs to complement that is, you know, the heart and emotion. And so, um, you know, the, the emotion is the gray area that really fills in the black and white logical decision-making process. And so uh, those, those three things are very important. I like the triangle. Um, the, the things that I look at in particular uh, to build trust and, and really, uh, you know, cultivate that culture within an organization is openness or transparency, yeah. um, consistency, and fairness. 
uh, and it's and it's important to understand the definitions of those words, right? Because everybody is going to have a different idea of what those words mean. And there's a Webster's dictionary dish, you know, definition for each of them, yeah. right? But um, you know, people pe people will see those words very differently from very different perspectives. And the only way to get everybody on the exact same sheet of music is through communication. And it's not communication at, you know, a, a threshold level. It's not just going down to say the platoon leader and the platoon sergeant, it's everybody across the organization. Uh, and so, you know, those, those three things, I, I, I look for those three things and, and uh, I, I expect the leaders within the organization I'm in to demonstrate those three things. Okay, absolutely. So when you're talking about transparency um, and I think what needs to be included in part of that, and I think this is a very hard concept for a lot of younger leaders uh, to learn and that's selective vulnerability. Um, and what I mean by that is, and there are research, there's research that substantiates this, that uh, leaders that make themselves vulnerable at an appropriate level um, connect better with their subordinates. It's that leader that tries to hide what he or she does or doesn't know in an effort to prevent exposing weakness. Um, and this also ties into authenticity. It, it absolutely has an impact. And I think I made this mistake when I was a young E5. There was a great deal of things that I knew I didn't know. And I spent a lot of emotional energy trying to make sure that those around me didn't know what I didn't know. And I think I'm, I would have been much better served by basically when, when things came up, I just said, you know, I don't have the answer for that either. Let's find it together. Or I don't know what the right solution is. Let's work through it as a team. And I think that would have absolutely impacted the levels of trust with, within my small team. Um, now that I'm a little bit older, a little bit more confident in myself, um, I absolutely have no problem stating if somebody asks me something I, I, that I can't answer with any kind of accuracy, I'm, I'm going to tell you I don't know. Uh, but I think when when we're newer at this at this leadership game uh, or this this leadership calling, I think there's absolutely a motivation to try and uh, be less than transparent and be and not be vulnerable at all. Now, too much vulnerability research shows uh, people begin to question why you're the leader to begin with. But uh, how how do you think we can be appropriately vulnerable as leaders? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Um, it, it, in my mind, it's tied to authenticity, and I think you mentioned that. Right? Mm -hmm. um, vulnerability allows people to make instant connections. Yeah, you know, and and making instant connections is important within an organization as as large and diverse as the ones that you know you and I serve within. Um, you know, this this uh, this idea of vulnerability is important because it demonstrates to people that not everybody has all of the answers. And when you can, if you can create the buy-in necessary uh, for other people to have an investment in solving a problem or creating greatness within an organization, um, then, then you know, you're, you're moving in a direction that it, it becomes we and not me, 
right? And so vulnerability allows for that to exist because there are plenty of people uh, willing and capable to provide answers and solutions to problem sets that are, you know, complex. Yeah. And, and so the, the vulnerability really is a platform for those individuals to, to share uh, experiences and ideas to, to find solutions. Okay, absolutely. I agree 100%. So we talked about empathy, and you mentioned the diversity of our organizations, and they're absolutely uh, much more representative of the nation we serve than probably any other enterprise in America. Uh, and, and, I, and I love it for that. And one of the phrases we like to say as EOAs is diversity is meaningless without inclusivity, without being inclusive, without an inclusive organization. And how we arrive at inclusivity is in part due to empathy. And I would like to share with you briefly uh, another tale of demonstrated empathy that I, that I saw in 177. And this actually came from the Sergeant Major. Uh, you know, we had a young man that because of some of the choices he made, we were going to have to separate this individual. And I had to, at the time I was serving as the first sergeant for uh, BCO, and I had to bring him over for his first reading of his article 15. And I was, I wasn't making, I wasn't being vulnerable. I was being very guarded at the time. I wasn't given the soldier a read on what to expect because my expectation was that it wasn't going to be good. He was pretty much, he was going to get, uh, the first sergeant major was going to call for fire on him, so to speak, in the office. Um, but what happened was absolutely the complete opposite. Uh, sergeant major extended a level of empathy that I was not expecting and that I'd never really seen in person from a senior organizational leader. Um, what sergeant major communicated was, hey, you know, you made this decision and, and this, you, this is going to be the effects of the decision. But you're still a member of this organization. You're still a soldier. You're still entitled to dignity and respect. And as long as you continue to carry yourself as what is expected of a member of this organization, you're not going to be treated any less than. Okay. And that was huge. Um, Sergeant Major had a sense. He, he knew this soldier was going to fall because of his decisions, his life making or his life impacting decisions. But he made a conscious decision to not make it harder or not, not push him on his way down. You know, he kind of softened the, the landing, so to speak. Um, and that absolutely, that was another pivot um, in my leadership style that I, I didn't understand or I didn't quite have a concept of how advanced empathy could be applied that skillfully. And he did, he did a great job. I don't know if you remember that situation or if you can comment on it. Yeah, I, I do recall the situation and um you know what i would what i would offer is that that's that's the sophistication of a, a of a highly um intelligent leader uh, that is emotional intelligence at work to the greatest extent um and you know i i'd, I'd follow it by by saying that um you know we we as human beings all make mistakes right bad things are are going to happen and, um, you know, those, you know, it, it is, it is determined that how we handle those situations, you know, will will demonstrate to others, you know, on the backside, um, a, a level of uh, success, a level of uh, failure and, you know, how to, how to move on from there. So it builds 
an experience um, that people get to go back to ensure that they don't find themselves in that situation again. And, and you know, the, the Sergeant Major not making that situation any more difficult for that young man um, speaks to a, a sophistication in, in leadership and a high degree of emotional intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what he was communicating, not directly, but it was implicit, was that you can trust us, even though we have to take these measures essentially against you, because of your actions, you can still trust us in that we have your best interest in mind. We have, we're balancing your, your best interest, your personal welfare with the needs of the organization. And the needs of the organization communicated, the soldier made a one-time mistake, but he could no longer continue to serve with us. But at the same time, we were still gonna treat him like a human being and, positive, and, and positively shape his perception of the whole process. Like that soldier could still be a recruiter for the army today in that when they say, how was your time in the army? He could say, well, I got in a little bit of trouble and I got chaptered out, but they didn't kick me in the butt on the way out the door. You know, they held the door open for me, thanked me for my service um, and, and treated me like a, a human being. That's that, that empathy is absolutely crucial. So, so we talked about authenticity, logic, and empathy. That's the, the Frey-Morris model. Um, your model, you know, consistency, transparency, fairness. All that, all that helps us arrive at trust. And, and even the models we've talked about or we've offered today aren't comprehensive models. There's still more out there and more we could discuss. I feel like we've covered a great deal. But uh, if you could leave a young company commander or a young lieutenant with some sort of mentorship, on actions they could take if they find that trust is lacking in their organization, what do you think you would offer up? Yeah, hey, that's that's a really great question. Great, um, great points to make with regard to that. So, uh, first and foremost, right? Um, I, if you're speaking, if you're the, if you find yourself being the only person doing all of the talking, um, and and you know, seeing an apprehension of younger, less experienced more junior individuals within the organization to actually speak their mind, then you have a trust problem and, and it should be Absolutely. addressed immediately. Uh, and, and the way to go about doing this is being very, very open about it, right? You, you, talk, you spoke about engaged leadership. Um, informal touch points are the best way to arrive at a sense for what's really going on in your organization. And it really develops a platform for you as a leader to be able to to reach out and touch people, to gain a sense for what's happening, what's going on, and you know how to fix it if you know a fix is necessary. You know, I think you and I have talked about this before, and you've probably heard me say, you know, if, if we don't know about what's going on, there's no way we can possibly fix it. Well, if we don't actively try to figure out what's going on, then we're not going to know what's going on. And so, if if you have informal touch points with every cohort of your organization. Um, you know, you, you're going to arrive at consensus. You're going to arrive at a pretty detailed understanding of, of what is really going on within your organization. And, uh, you know, you'll be surprised to find out that, you know, the, the more you demonstrate that vulnerability, and the more you create the buy-in for people wanting to be participatory in the solution, the more ideas you will receive from people to bring the organization further towards greatness. Yeah. Okay, that's absolutely correct. So, so basically, to put that in an example, um, 
the leader that can take bad news. Okay, absolutely. We we want that. You've got it. You've got to have a culture that your subordinates can bring you bad news and 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 deliver because everybody can tell the boss the good news. Everybody's usually knocking over chairs to bring the boss the good news, but nobody wants to be the one to take the bad news to the boss. I would say uh, an excellent indicator of what you just said is if if PFC McEvers could come up to Colonel Cassiano, you know, in just an informal conversation, when you say, hey, how's it going? Be like, sir, actually not very well. We're, we're, we're struggling, you know, with, with whatever problem, be it maintenance or, or time allocation for training. That's a trusting organization. And I don't think anybody could dispute it because the courage it would take for a PFC just to speak to a, a field grade officer or a senior leader outside of good morning, sir, good morning, Sergeant, Sergeant Major, um, that takes an incredible amount of courage. And that soldier has to have reassurances that it's not gonna have negative implications for me that I just leveled with the boss. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's a perfect example to close on, sir. Um, be that leader where the PFC or the PV2 that, that, is, that knows what they're talking about, they can be the one to give you bad news when they talk to you. Because we all just say, say the same thing. How's it going, sir? Oh, it's great. You know, everything's good. When in reality, we don't have that trust level present where we can level with the boss. So anyway, I I want to I want to wrap it up here, sir, for time purposes. I thank you so much. Um, I think you you exceeded every expectation that I had for this conversation. Um, I'm glad I'm glad you were a part of it. So McEvers, thank you so much. Uh, this again, honor, a privilege. Uh, just, just being able to see you again and have a dialogue with you about something so important is, uh, it, it's the highlight of my day and uh, right. great seeing you again and looking forward to seeing this coming out on the other side. Yeah, you too. Uh, steel tiger, sir, strike hard and we'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Thanks. So that's going to bring episode five to a close. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Colonel Cassiano. I hope you can take one or two points out of it, maybe more, uh, but hopefully they can make a difference in either your personal or professional life uh, in those relationships with, that you have with the people that you're working with or, or spending time with on a daily basis, because that's what it's really all about. It's improving the relationships of the people that we surround ourselves with. That's, that's the intent, that's the outcome of developing trust and having trusting relationships. Before I take off, I have a couple of notes. Again, thank you everybody that has liked and shared and and uh helped promote the the podcast i want to thank everybody that's given me the feedback i appreciate it very much please 100 keep it coming i'm going to have a little bit of break for leave uh, but i should have an episode ready for release prior to the new year um, with that i want to tell you all stay safe take care of yourself and each other and we will see you later